What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode 324 of the Neutral Corner, to be exact. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. Hope you guys had a great weekend. In fact, I hope you've had a good two weeks. You're returning from a two-week hiatus, so I have a lot to catch up on. Uh, I tried to do a Friday wrap-up last Friday, but we were having technical difficulties. Not everybody could hear me. Hopefully that is all worked out and you guys can hear me loud and clear. Let me know in the chat if you're having any issues hearing me, but hopefully you guys got me loud and clear and uh, all the technical stuff is worked out. Um, so yeah, episode 324 of TNC. We are in August. We're still in the dog days of summer, but less than two weeks from now, we have a great, great heavyweight matchup. The rematch between Alexander Usyk Anthony Joshua taking place in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And then after that, from that point forward for a month or so, we have several great fights lined up. And I'm hoping that some more big fights uh, come off toward the end of the year. We, we close the year strong, but we're still kind of in the, as they say, the dog days of summer, right? Anyway, I got two weeks of fight reviews to go over. We'll preview some stuff this weekend. Uh, we got some news and notes to catch up on, of course. We'll take your guys' phone calls. Uh, all right, cool. It sounds like everybody is uh, hearing me fine. I'm just checking out the chat. That's awesome. Anthony Santiago says, hey, Mike, I'm back from Italia, back from Italy. It was amazing. I missed the food so much. Dude, that's awesome. That's a hell of a trip, man. I am jealous. Hey, I went on a couple vacations in July, but I went to Chicago, and then I went to New England. New England trip was real cool. Chicago trip was real cool. It was nice to get out of the hot southern weather. It was nice and cool up there. Uh, we ate some great food, too, but it wasn't quite Italy, Anthony. <laughs> so I'm jealous, man. I'm definitely jealous. By the way, guys, um, my wife, Tiffany, as you know, she's pregnant uh, with our baby girl, our first child, and she just hit the third trimester. So we're in the home stretch. We got a couple more months. She's due in October. So um, we're almost there. We're almost there. All right. Uh, let, let me get right into news and notes, man. Uh, before I do that real quick, just a reminder, guys, pay the fee. Those of you who watch the show, listen to the show, you know what the fee is. It's non-monetary. All I ask is that you give likes, ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. If you haven't done it already, double check, check, uh, triple check. Make sure you're subscribed, not only to the Ring Digital YouTube channel, but to my personal YouTube channel, Montero Unboxing. Uh, if you want to... Pick up a cool, stylish, sexy Montero Unboxing t-shirt. Go to my website, man, MonteroUnboxing.com, and uh, and support the cause, you know. Um, but share the show. Just share the show. Tweet it out. Post it on your social, whatever social media you're on. Tweet it out or uh, post it out there. Let people know. That's all I ask, man. That's all I ask. That is it. All right. News and notes time. Let's get into this. All right, we got a few items here. Uh, let's start with Daniel Dubois suing Don King. No, you did not travel back in time to the 1990s. It is still 2022. Don King being sued by the four billionth fighter. <laughs> I feel like this guy has been sued by more people than like Weinstein and Epstein and Cosby combined. Uh, this guy just gets sued a lot. So here's the situation. Back in June, June 11th to be exact, Daniel Dubois fought Trevor Bryan for one of the 5,000 WBA belts at heavyweight, right? And Don King, who is still at 4,000 years of age, 
promoting. Um, not a lot, but every now he's got like two or three fighters and he's involved here and there. And somehow, some way he wiggled his fighter, Trevor Bryan into one of the WBA belts. Not that it's that difficult, but still it's pretty amazing considering Don King hasn't been involved in a major promotion in decades, literally in decades. At least he hasn't been the, the key promoter in a big promotion in decades. So he wins the purse bid to that fight. And I think it was over uh, $3 million, which is crazy. That fight, obviously not worth that money, especially here in the United States. But he wins it, brings it to uh, Florida and streams it on his website. And maybe, you know, 42 people watched it. More people watched my fight last year on the WBC Live channel than watched this fight, which is kind of sad. Anyway, and I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just telling it like it is. Anyway. Uh, King was due to pay Trevor Bryan, who had the belt coming in, $1.7 million, and Dubois, $1.4 million. Now, the lawsuit from Dubois and his people are alleging that King owes them money, upwards of like $900,000. It could be as minimal as like $400,000. So I, I think they receive partial payment because there's a certain amount that has to be paid up front. And then you can delay payment. Okay. That's, I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of how all that works, but you don't, as a promoter, you don't have to pay everything out immediately. It could come in installments, especially for an international fighter. What Brian and his people don't know is was Don King's purse supposed to cover the WBA sanctioning fees? How much of it was supposed to cover taxes? Things like that. So if the sanctioning fees and the taxes and all that were included, then apparently King owes Dubois people like $900,000. So we'll see what happens from this. But uh, for what it's worth, Don King says that they've never missed payment and that they fully intend on paying everybody. Okay, we shall find out. So Don King staying in the news, but not necessarily for the best reasons. Also, uh, in fight news, uh, Joe Joyce and Joseph Joseph Parker are set to fight September 24th in Manchester. These guys are rated WBO number one and number two. So this is basically an eliminator for the WBO. Of course, that title currently held by Usyk. And uh, Usyk and Joshua are going to fight a rematch, as I mentioned, right at the top of the show later this month for three of the four belts, the WBO being one of them. But these two are also number two and number three in the WBC. So the winner of this fight figures to be in line for a shot at the WBO belt, whether it be held by Usyk or Joshua at some point next year, or perhaps a shot at a vacant WBC belt next year uh, if Tyson Fury were to vacate that belt. So there's different directions these guys could go. The winner of this fight will have options. I like this fight. This is a nice heavyweight matchup. And for Joe Joyce, if he is who some of us think he is, he should win this fight against Parker. He should have some difficult moments. He might even get hurt early, uh, struggle, be down halfway through the fight. But if he has what I, th what I think he has, what a lot of people, an increasing amount of people are starting to believe he has, uh, he should kind of grow up and learn on the job a little bit and beat Joseph Parker. Now, if Parker has anything left in the tank and truly wants to live up to the expectations he once had and uh, the, the 
I guess a lot of you know a lot of people looked at Parker when he was coming up and just thought he had a lot of potential. If he wants to live up to that potential, he should win this fight. And on paper, he should win this fight. He's the experienced fighter. He's the veteran. He's still pretty much in his physical prime. He hasn't taken too much punishment. He has taken some, but not too much. And he's been in there with just about everybody in, in the division other than the, the PBC guys. So plenty of experience that he brings to the table that he should be able to use against Joyce. I know that this is pay-per-view for you guys over in the UK. That's a shame. I, I know that you're getting stuck with a lot of pay-per-views. Hopefully this will only be like 10, 20 pounds. I don't know the exact price. I don't know. Maybe one of you guys in the chat could tell me. But hopefully it's not more than 20 pounds or so, because I think anything over that, that's asking a little bit too much. Usually your pay-per-views over there are priced accordingly. Uh, but here in the States, this should not be on uh, pay-per-view at all. I'm, I'm hoping not, because that's a nice heavyweight matchup. I really, really wish we get more matchups like that, particularly in the heavyweight division. And there's a couple of new guys coming up, right? Joe Joyce is one of them. I want to see those new young guys getting in there with some of these Guys are now veterans. And I'm not going to say Joseph Parker is from the previous generation. He's not that old, but he's definitely a guy who's been around. And Joyce is a new, younger guy. I know he's not young in years, but in terms of his pro career, he's young. And this is the kind of matchup that you need to see these younger guys get to get over the hump, to see who's for real. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I like this fight. Okay, uh, more fight news. The WBC orders Regis Progre and Jose Zepeda to fight, or to, yeah, to fight for the vacant junior welterweight title. Uh, if they can't come to an agreement by the end of this month, it will go to purse bid, and the WBC will whack up the numbers and everything else. I think Progre's one in Zepeda's two. Don't quote me on that. It might be Zepeda's one and Progre's two. Actually, I'm sorry, Jose Carlos Ramirez was either one or two, but he had to pass on this fight because I think it's uh, a family wedding or something like that that he's going to attend. So he can't he can't train for it. So he has, you know, family obligations. So I maybe he gets the, the winner. <clears throat> I think that's how it works. But either way, I love this matchup. So these are two matchups here, Joyce Parker and then Pro, Pro Gray Zepeda that I really, really like. And a lot of times the sanctioning organizations, their mandatories don't make sense. They, they make terrible, terrible fights that the fans don't want to see. It's all political, kind of like the Dubois-Brian fight that I brought up earlier. Um, that was just, you know, a waste. It didn't prove anything, right? But these two matchups that the BO and the BA or BC, I'm sorry, are, are mandating, they're great matchups, man. And uh, they're going to tell us a lot about the fighters involved. And you can really make a case for both of these matchups going to either fighter. That's the best way to have it, man. That's the Those are the best matchups. So I like these a lot. And I thought that uh, we should bring them up. And uh, hopefully all these, um, well, we already know Joyce and Parker are coming next month. But hopefully Progray and Zapata is some point in quarter four, two. And that would just keep stacking the end of the year. And I, I'm hoping that schedule at the end of the year just gets better and better. We just need some of these fights to come together. All right, let's uh, let's do uh, the review. And like I said before, we got two weeks to cover. Two weeks to cover here. So let's go all the way back 
to Saturday, July 30th at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. TGB Promotions on Showtime. It was the return of Danny Swift Garcia, and he gets a majority decision against Jose Benavidez Jr. This was a junior middleweight fight, 154, not 140, not 147, but 154. It was the debut in that division for Garcia. And uh, somehow, look, this should have been a unanimous decision. Let's start with that. Somehow, Judge Waleska Roldan, it looks like Waleska Roldan, I'm not sure how you pronounce the name, had this a draw. I don't know how the hell they had this 114-114. Terrible score. Garcia won this fight. It wasn't a scintillating performance, but Garcia won the fight. So um, that score was just terrible. And like I, we just see these random shit scores like that and nobody says anything it's just it's really bizarre to me anyway this was the first bout for garcia since his loss to errol spence in 2020 so he was out of the ring for basically like two years now my question is um what is the plan where does he want to go from here so as i mentioned before and i've talked about this several times he never really had an elite level welterweight win he was always like a lower top 10 welterweight in my opinion that's not to diss the guy. He was just, I never really saw him as one of the top two or three or even top five welterweights in the division. Uh, always kind of lower top 10. And I don't really see him being any higher than that at 154. And also 154 is kind of at the very top. We know what's happening for the next year or so. We know that uh, the undisputed champion, Charlo, he's going to fight Zoo early next year. Again, that's for undisputed. And then there's another mandatory that that undisputed champion will have to fulfill another mandatory obligation. So the title belts at the very top, they're kind of, it's all decided right now. However, Garcia could get himself in position to fight for an interim belt or something like that. And you know, there's 4,000 of them with the WBA. Uh, they're in business with PBC. The WBC is in business with PBC as well. So there's always the interim WBC belt or something. And forgive me if those belts are already taken. I honestly don't know. I don't keep up with the crap anymore. There's just too many of them. But maybe Danny Garcia could go for one of those and angle himself into a shot at the undisputed championship. Maybe by the end of next year, maybe even early 2024. I guess that's the plan here to, to shoot for like one more big, big fight. And for PBC, if Charlo does beat Zoo, then you still need names for him. Charlo really doesn't have any names, right? So if he beats Zoo and then you get, I think it's uh, Sebastian Fondora is the other mandatory. Who The winner of that fight is going to need names. Danny Garcia is kind of a name with American boxing fans. Not really, but kind of. So um, maybe that's the plan here. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, Danny Garcia successful in his debut at 154. Also on this card, a minor upset, not really a major upset, but a minor one. Ali Aaron Demirizan. I don't know why that's so hard to say. It's not that hard of a thing. Ali Aaron Demirizan scores a unanimous decision win over Adam Kovnachi. This was uh, Turkish-German versus Polish-Brooklyn. And, um, man, I, for, for the Polish kid, undefeated fighter just about a year or so ago uh, was seen as a you know top prospect and, and a contender people were really taking a close look at. Some people, you know, I, I always kind of saw him as a poor man's Andy Ruiz. That's just kind of what I always saw in him for several reasons. 
Uh, he's just lacking a little bit of the chin and the, dura the overall durability and explosiveness that Andy Ruiz has. And I don't even rate Andy Ruiz as highly as many others do. So I just was never that high on Kavnachi, but he's lost three in a row now, you know, two to Hellenius and then this fight to uh, Demirzin, who pretty much, I, I guess, dominated this fight. I guess that's the, the only word to use. Uh, he he stunned Adam Kavnachi many times in the fight, um, seemed to win basically every round. So what do you do if you're managing Adam Kavnachi? Do, do you have the kid retire? I mean, he's still a, a top 25 heavyweight. He can compete, but he's never going to win a world title. That, that much is certain. And the plans that PBC had for him, that's blown up because obviously they were grooming him for Deontay Wilder, right? Uh, the kid's Polish, but he fights out of Brooklyn now. He lives and uh, trains in Brooklyn. So he brings a crowd with him. The Polish fight fans are great, and they always support their fighters here in America, the Polish-American fans. So PBC really had something there that they could build upon in terms of a brand, you know, a local brand there. This kid was never going to be like a huge superstar, but there in New York, um, in the New York area, whether it be in Brooklyn or in the city, they could do crowds with the kid. And they knew that. And then eventually they could bring Wilder up there to New York and have the two of them fight for the BC. Wilder knocks out an undefeated guy. The demographics of it work out perfectly for the way they're marketing Wilder, all of it. I see exactly what they were trying to do. And the plan kind of blew up. So now for Wilder's comeback fight, I still think it's probably going to be Hellenius, Robert Hellenius, because that's probably the best they can do. Because if you had to go, you know, for Wilder's comeback fight later this year, and they're still talking about doing that, do you have him come back against Hellenius or Demirizin? Hellenius brings probably a little more name recognition, not a whole lot more, but a little bit more. He's a little more familiar to fight fans here in the United States. Not by much, but still, it, it, it does matter. And uh, he's just made to order for, for Wilder. So that's probably who he's going to fight. But, man, I don't know what, what this kid can do from here. Because, um, again, losing three in a row. And it's not, it's not that he got caught with some freak punch. And I've, I've talked about this a million times, guys. You know my feeling on this. If you get caught with a big punch in the second round of a fight and you get knocked out, like that's bad. But it's bad to get completely dominated over 10 rounds and outboxed. That's worse because in a way it's showing your level, right? And that's what happened here. So sometimes, especially as a heavyweight, it's almost better to get caught with a shot and get knocked out in a fight. That's easier to come back from than getting completely outboxed over 10 rounds to a guy that's generally regarded as maybe a top 25 heavyweight. Nobody sees Demirzin as a top 10 guy, right? Even now after this win. So this just three bad losses in a row for Kevnachi. And I don't really know where he goes from here. Also on the Sunday card, uh, Gary Antoine Russell improves the 16-0 with 16 knockouts with a TKO6 win over Rances, Rances Bartholome. Uh, this was a 140-pound fight. Bartholome down in round six. Legit knockdown. He was clipped, okay? But he got up, and he was good. Referee Shada Murdaugh immediately stops the fight. Terrible stoppage. One of the worst stoppages, and we've actually seen a couple of bad stoppages recently, but this was a really, really bad stoppage. Now, now look, 
I'm not going to complain too much for several reasons. One, I always would rather a referee err on the side of caution to protect a fighter than let a fighter take too much punishment. So that's good. Okay. I'm always, I'm going to lean that direction for fighter safety, but also the writing was on the wall for this fight. In my opinion, Russell was going to win. He, he had found his groove and he was going to start coasting late. I just, this kind of ripped Russell off from further development and it ripped off the fans of seeing a conclusive stoppage. But to me, the, 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 um, Outcome was never in doubt for this fight. That's why I'm not going to throw a big fit about this. I'm more pissed off about that one scorecard in the main event, but um, just just a bad stoppage. And, and as a referee in a professional prize fight that's being broadcast on Showtime, which is a you know a national premium cable network, you know people are going to see this. Maybe only a few hundred thousand live, but collectively over social media and everything in the, the you know the, the weeks following, millions of people are going to see it. And um, you, you got to know what you're looking at. And clearly this guy could have kept fighting. So it didn't like the stoppage, but still, Russell doing his thing uh, continues to be a guy to take a real strong look at that 140. I think he's got a bright future. I think he's actually going to do better than the other Gurry Russell. Not that I think he has as much talent, maybe. Um, but he's going to have a better career. You watch. Mark my words on that. Sergey Derevyanchenko got back in the win column with a unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder. He had lost four of his last five going back to 2018 coming into this fight. So he got back in the win column. Good for him, but it's probably time for Derevyanchenko to walk away. You got a W, dude. Walk away. I, do I want to see him in there against the killer again? I really, really don't. All right, let's jump forward to last weekend, Saturday, August 6th, Belfast, Northern Ireland. It was on ESPN Plus here in the States. Michael Conlon with a good bounce back win over Miguel Mariaga, who had now lost three of his last four. This was a featherweight fight, a 10-rounder. And it went the distance. A couple times it looked like Conlon might stop Mariaga. You know, kind of looked like that at times, but the – the veteran who's been in there with some really great fighters and always gives a good effort, uh, just comes up short against the very, very best. And at this stage of his career, uh, he's probably not even going to be able to contend with the very, very best. Uh, but Mariaga was able to uh, finish the fight on his feet. For Conlon, it was a bounce-back win after that TKO 12 loss to Lee Wood earlier this year. So you love to see a guy get right back in the ring only a few months later and to perform well like this. And people forget the fight against Wood, Conlon was winning. He was on his way to winning that fight when he just flat out got caught. It happens. It's part of boxing. It's very different. That kind of a loss, just what I mentioned a minute ago, that loss that Conlon had to Wood, as dramatic as it was, as dramatic as it played out live for the fans and on TV and everything, not nearly the same thing as Adam Kavnachi's last three fights, right? Very, very different, to, you know, much more difficult to bounce back from those kind of losses than what Conlon just experienced. Conlon was beating Wood, got caught, knocked out in the 12th round. Okay, what does he do? Does he make a bunch of excuses, move up and wait, you know, change trainers, move to the other side of the world? No, he gets back in the ring a few months later and gets a W. So good for him. I love to see that. Also on August 6th, uh, Golden Boy Promotions at the Dickies Arena. 
at Fort Worth, Texas. This was broadcast on The Zone. Let's talk about this one, man. Uh, on the undercard, Bektamir Melikuziev gets a two TKO3 win, his third straight W since his lone defeat, which was a freak knockout punch to Gabe Rizzato. Once again, I go back to this example. I'll beat this dead horse some more. <laughs> that was a freak loss off a perfect punch from a veteran fighter in Gabe Rizzato, right? Uh, Beck the bully. It's not like he was completely outboxed or thoroughly dominated. He just got caught. Guys, it happens. And what has Beck done? He's taken a step back. He's relaxed a little bit. And he's working on some things. He's now won three in a row. So there's going to come a point here with, in the next year or so where he's ready to contend for a title at super middleweight. So good for him. Um, undefeated prospect, Floyd Schofield, lightweight prospect out of Austin, Texas, improves to 11-0 and uh, with a fifth-round stoppage win. I saw Floyd Schofield. They call him Kid Austin. I saw him fight twice in Atlanta last year. So I got an up-close and personal look at him. Good-looking prospect. His dad is a little too involved in his career and ha kind of has some crazy demands. There's a little bit of Teofimo Lopez Sr. There's a little bit of Angel Garcia in Schofield's father. So I'm not crazy about that. And I think it could lead to trouble very, very soon. But right now, Floyd Schofield, good-looking, lightweight prospect, 11-0. Also on this card, um, great, great performance from Blair Cobbs. Another bounce back from a loss. There's a theme going here, people. Uh, Blair Cobbs' unanimous decision win over Maurice Hooker on paper. Okay, if this fight was made a year ago, two years ago, Hooker would have been a massive betting favorite, and it wouldn't surprise me if he was at least a slight betting favorite going into this fight. Although, fight week, he didn't look good. He looked a little soft. He had a, a death in the family recently. His mind and his heart really wasn't in this fight. You could see it from the jump. Having gone through an experience like that recently myself, where my mind and my heart weren't in a fight, and I was just kind of going through the motions, I didn't perform at my best, I can relate to that experience now a lot. And right away, you could see it in Maurice Hooker. You know, um, Maurice Hooker at his absolute best, he probably beats Blair Cobbs, but he wasn't at his absolute best. He was flat. And props to Blair Cobbs, man. He took advantage. He jumped in there. He fought hard from the, from the opening bell and landed some hard shots, some nice counter, looping counter shots. And dropped Hooker once in the first, twice in the second. Maurice Hooker has now lost three of his last four. So his career, he's kind of in, in Adam Kavnachi territory. Honestly, he really is kind of there. Uh, more accomplished than him, but he's kind of in the same predicament right now in his career. For Cobbs, this was a great bounce back win after that KO9 loss to Alexis Rocha in March. So uh, you got to give... Blair Cobb's tremendous credit here, man. Came back, took a fight against a bigger guy, more experienced guy, uh, with a lot more schooling, amateur and pro, and took it to him. And props to him for that. Bl uh, Blair Cobb's was sharp. Maurice Hooker was not. I got to say this about Hooker. After that terrible start, you know, where he, it was a 10-8 round. He was down at in the first, a 10-7 round, I think, in, yeah, in the second. He was down with three points going into the third round, right? Or what am I saying? Shit, he was down five points. Sorry, he was down five points going into the third round. At that point, you basically know, I can't win this fight 
unless I get a knockout later on. Like he was already in that kind of territory, right? And he stayed on his feet and he finished the damn fight. And after having a really, again, me experiencing this recently myself in my own little world uh, of, you know, my little boxing journey myself, having experienced that, seeing Hooker do that, listen, that takes a certain amount of character. It takes a certain amount of intestinal fortitude just to finish that fight on his feet. And it says something about the character of Maurice Hooker. So he needs to get some credit for just finishing the damn fight and winning a few rounds down the stretch. Uh, but in the end, this is an easy fight to score, and Blair Cobbs won. Uh, so props to him. He moves on. And then the main event, Virgil Ortiz Jr. improves to 19-0 with 19 stoppages, scoring a TK09 win against Michael McKinson, who suffered his first loss as a pro. Of course, this is a, a welterweight fight. And for everything that was said about Virgil Ortiz for – uh, you know, his failure to make weight in his last fight that he was scheduled uh, for was, uh, what was that, earlier this year. Um, he looked fine here. He looked very, very healthy, energetic, strong. Punches were crisp. Uppercuts were nice. The body shots were nice. He kind of only pitched one speed during the first half of this fight. But you saw he started to settle in the middle rounds and started to vary up the attack a little bit. And that's when he really started to chop McKinson up. It was just all out aggression early on. But, you know, I give the kid a break because he had been out of the ring for a year and he wanted to put on a dominant performance. He wanted to entertain the fans there in Texas, his hometown fans. He's from right there, but not too far from Fort Worth in that area. So um, he wanted to perform. And sometimes you see somebody come back off uh, a one-year layoff and they look really rusty and timid, right? It was kind of the opposite with Ortiz. I kind of would rather see the opposite. He was out there maybe a little over-aggressive, overzealous, over-offensive. But again, calm down in the middle rounds, really started chopping McKinson up. And, and let me talk about McKinson real briefly. Um, he showed some craft. He showed that he can box. He, he showed some nice movement in there, some athleticism. He just has no power. He is completely on the back foot. And he's not on the back foot to like set traps and rock back with a hard shot. He's just on the back foot. And he just had absolutely nothing. He landed some shots on Ortiz. He did, but there was nothing behind them. And if you, in the pro game, guys, you have to have power. Now, fighters like Devin Haney are accused of having absolutely no power. And, and I'm with you. Devin Haney doesn't have game-changing, elite-level power, but he still has enough to get respect from opponents. He has enough where he can have, he can move an opponent, stop them in their tracks, at least force them to reset a little bit. He did that against George Cambosos, okay? Couldn't hurt him, you know, couldn't do that, but he at least moved him a little bit and was able to keep him in position where he wanted him so he could work. But with uh, McKinson, absolutely nothing he did, nothing he did, stopped Ortiz in his tracks, made him had have to reset or pivot or shift or do anything. And when you don't have that kind of power, it's just going to limit where you could go in professional boxing. McKinson, if he stayed amateur and went to the Olympics, okay, he could win, a, he could win a medals. This guy could win medals. I'm serious. I'm being dead serious. But in the pro game, you get past that fifth round, he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle against the elite. You got to have power in the pro game, man. It's absolutely essential. Anyway, 
Uh, Ortiz dropped McKinson in the eighth and ninth in the corner through in the towel in the ninth. I thought that was a great stoppage by the corner. There was no way in hell McKinson was going to win that fight. He was beat up. It looked like he, he was kind of limping on this. I think it was his right leg or it looked like his knee or something was bad. Now, it could have been from the body shots because I've seen guys get hit with hard body shots and it affected their leg. Their leg almost went numb. And it, that could have been what happened. I'm not quite sure. But Ortiz was landing some beautiful, beautiful, hard body punches. In fact, he dropped him with a body punch in the eighth. And I think there was just residual effect from that in the ninth. Good stoppage by the corner, man. Uh, perfect timing on that. There was absolutely no reason to continue that fight. So what does Ortiz do from here? For what it's worth, once again, he was calling out Terrence Crawford. Uh, Terrence Crawford was there in attendance. They were calling him out. I'd love to see it. Do I think he's ready for Terrence Crawford? No, but I still want to see it. I think it'd be very entertaining. It'd be um, a great contrast to styles and wills because you'd have two undefeated fighters, one being really, really young and hungry, and one being a little bit coddled at this stage because Terrence Crawford is sleeping in them silk sheets. He's one fighter of the year. He's been on the pound for pound list for a while, right? He thinks he deserves 50-50 money with Earl Spence. So the, you know, I just, you just wonder, could Ortiz give him at least a really, really rough fight and put some heat on Crawford? Let's not forget Kavaliowskis dropped him, flash knockdown, but he did. Yuriokas Gamboa stunned Crawford. I'm just saying, um, I wouldn't mind seeing Crawford and Ortiz. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, come on, guys. This is boxing. All right. Let's get to some super chats before I get to the preview. Actually, let me uh, quench my thirst here real quick. Yeah, ah, that's good. Okay. Uh, super chat from Gideon P. He says, uh, well, first of all, thank you, Gideon. He says, uh, it's because everyone is okay with they got it right. Yeah. I don't know. But that must be. Let's see. See, now I'm out of context. I need to get to these Super Chats live because now I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what you're referring to, Gideon. I'm sorry. Uh, let me know in the chat and I will address it, brother. I promise. Sam A with the Super Chat. Thank you, Sam. He said uh, they have to stop the full sobriety test after a knockdown. Takes too long. And if a guy flinches, then they stop it prematurely. Jack Reese is the worst. You know what, dude? Uh, you're on to something there. And let me just say this. To go back to my last fight, which I, I lost by split decision, uh, I had the guy hurt bad in the third round, and um, I didn't realize that you don't get a point for a standing eight count. I thought you did, which is kind of why I laid off, because I thought I had the, the fight won at that point. But, um, you know, I thought about the standing eight count in amateurs, and, and it's it's very similar to that full sobriety test after a knockdown in the pros. It's benefiting the hurt fighter. And it's penalizing the fighter that just hurt him. Because if you think about it, in the, in the amateurs with a standing eight count, you know, you, you nail a guy's legs buckle, but he doesn't go down. And he kind of leap backs into the ropes and grabs the ropes to stay up. Ref goes over there, ooh, standing eight, which ends up being about 20 seconds. And then you don't get a point. That really, really hurts. And then you're only talking about two-minute rounds. That really, really hurts the fighter that, Scored that standing eight, right? In the pros, with um, at least you with the knockdown, you get a point. 
But you're right. A lot of times this full sobriety test, man, I've seen them take 30 seconds with dudes. 30 seconds. And if it's at the end of a round and the guy gets that 20, 30 second, you know, break with the referee working with them and some smart fighters know how to milk that shit. Trust me, they do because I've talked to them about it. They know how to milk that and get a couple extra seconds out of it. They really do. If it's at the end of a round, you get a minute, you know, you get a minute break. So sometimes you can get upwards of a minute and a half break with that. So I, I'm with you. I, I think, you know, they need to speed that shit up a little bit. They really do. Anthony Santiago with the super chat. Thank you so much. He said, uh, what top super middleweights beat back and who would be willing to take on such a high risk, low reward fight at the moment? A Benavidez matchup would be awesome. So I think Benavidez is a guy who actually would fight back, but there are not many people that are just going to like jump at that shot, man. He's going to have to work his way up through the sanctioning organization system. And what him and his team need to do is target which belt they want to go for. And, you know, right now, of course, Canelo's the undisputed champion, but you know those belts are going to get all whacked up. And you have to ask yourself, what's the path we want to go? Do you want to go WBC? You want to go WBO? You know, what do you want to do here? And you have to factor in all the politics that come with each group. You know, BC is going to be heavy favoring Mexican fighters, Mexican-American fighters, PBC fighters, WBA, PBC fighters, WBO, top rank fighters. So uh, IBF American fighter. So, so like, which game do you want to play? And they're going to have to play that game and move up that way and try to get into a mandatory position. I think that's the only way Beck is ever going to get a title shot, honestly, because he, as you mentioned, Anthony, he um, he's very high risk, very low reward. And he's under everyone's radar right now because of that loss to Rosado. But it should ain't changed. He's still a dangerous, dangerous guy. Sam with another super chat. Thanks again, Sam. He says, uh, Hooker didn't try to make weight. It's why he survived. Dude, what I heard, what I was told is that um, Hooker struggled greatly to make weight. He struggled a lot. And um, he couldn't sleep for weeks. He's been going through some emotional things. Again, he had a death in the family uh, coming into this fight. So he just really wasn't himself. I, If you look at Maurice Hooker's track record, Pretty honest fighter, pretty humble fighter. So I give him a pass on that. I really, really do. Um, you know, he didn't look good. He did look a little soft. We could talk about all that. But I, I, I take the guy at his word. He seems like a genuine dude. I've never known him to bullshit. If you guys can correct me on that, please do. But he seems like a genuine guy. I'd take his word on that. Another one from Ant. Thank you so much, Ant. Says, Mike, I'm hearing Canelo Triple G is selling poorly. I think that's crazy since the first two were such great fights. By the way, I have given up on Spence Crawford. <laughs> okay, so uh, regarding Spence Crawford, I'm there with you. I've completely given up. I just don't give a shit anymore. I really don't. And I like both fighters. I'm a fan of both fighters. But when it comes to this particular matchup, both of them can go to hell. Seriously. I, I think they're both being greedy. And look, I, I don't, I will never, ever, ever um, judge a fighter for trying to get as much money as they can. They're putting their lives on the line. I know what fighters risk. I've gone through it a little bit to a tiny little degree myself. I get it. But at this point, I think these guys have just tried to like suck the blood out of every boxing fan, like, like, uh, like vampires, 
to the point where there's no fucking blood left, dude. You went too far with this. If they don't announce the fight, Steve Kim actually wrote a column. My boy Steve wrote a column for um, the Snack website. And he mentioned this fight. And he mentioned the whole welterweight division. He talked about Jerome Boots Ennis, Virgil Ortiz, everybody. But specifically with this fight, you know, he said if they don't, if they don't sign this thing and announce it by the end of this month, it ain't happening this year. And I tend to agree with him. You need at least a month or so to promote it, right? Especially because it's going to be pay-per-view. If they don't announce this thing by the end of this month, to hell with both of them and their management because they all fucked this up. And it'd just be another, another example, actually another addition to the sad chapter in the boxing book of fights that never happened. So, uh, but your other thing, Canelo Triple G selling poorly. Look, I think tickets to the fight are going to sell well. From what I've heard, tickets are selling good um, in certain sections anyway. They're not selling like the first two fights though. And so if the standard is that it's going to sell like the first two fights, it won't. It's not going to. It's been how many years since there? I think the rematch was in 2019. It's three years later, or am I wrong? Was it 2020? Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But I want to say the rematch is 2019. And we're three years later. So Canelo's coming off a loss. Um, you know, Golovkin's kind of been under the, you know, yeah, a lower profile. You know, he's been fighting lower tier guys. And then he he just went over and had fought a good fighter, Riolo Morata, but it was in Japan. It's kind of under the radar. And so my thing is, look, I do think that this fight will pick up steam in September. I think a lot of the diehard fans and the international fans and stuff right now are looking at the heavyweight fight coming up this month. And then this fight will start picking up steam. I think this is one of those that's going to sneak up on people the you know week or two before fight night. So like the first two weeks of September, people are going to start talking about Canelo Triple G. But right now, dude, yeah, it doesn't have half the hype that these first fights had, you know, because you think about the first uh, Canelo Triple G fight, I swear six months before that damn fight, people were excited about it. Six months before the damn fight, before it was even announced, but when it was like close. And then once it got announced, um, months before the fight, people were buzzing. And all the press events, I went to all of them. I went to all of them. And uh, the public workouts, all that, there were people, I think in the middle of the summer, the public workouts for the rematch, I did them outside in downtown LA, hot as shit. It had to be a hundred freaking degrees out. Thousands of people, thousands of people were out there. So um, it, it just, the, the, it was peak excitement. I don't think this third one's going to quite live up to that. However, it might end up being the best fight of the, of the three. Seriously, it might end up being the best fight. So we'll find out. <clears throat> Uh, Gideon with another super chat. Thank you so much, Gideon. Um, oh, okay. So he's respond. Okay. So you know what, Gideon, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to read your first one again. So Gideon's first super chat, it said, it's because everyone is, is okay with, they got it right. Now I see what he was saying. And he follows it up by saying crappy scorecards, even if the right guy wins. Thank you so much, Gideon, for clearing that up. So this is in relation to, um, the scorecard for Danny Garcia. Jose Benavidez Jr., which two judges got it right. One judge had it a draw. Judge Valeska Roldan had it 114-114. A terrible scorecard that a moron, a moron could score that. A chimp, take a chimp from the circus, 
put a cigarette in his mouth and a cute little cap on him, sit him in front of the TV and tell him to score that fight. And he would have Danny Garcia winning, right? A chimp could score that damn fight, all right? And somehow this judge had to draw. And to Gideon's point, there are people out there that say, oh, who cares? Don't get so mad, Mike. The right guy won. Well, don't at me when your favorite fighter gets fucking robbed by Valeska Roldan when his, when his or her, I don't, I don't know if it's male or female, when their score matters and their score is a deciding factor in a split decision or something like that, and your favorite fighter gets butt-fucked, no Vaseline, don't at me. Because I'm going to say, hey, man, don't be so mad. The right guy wins most of the time. Come on, don't be mad. That's going to be my response to you. Okay. <clears throat> we still got a preview, ladies and gentlemen. We still got a preview. We're 45 minutes in. Let's get to it. Uh, do you like that imagery? <laughs> With the no Vaseline, you guys like that? You like that imagery right there? All right. Uh, this Saturday, August 13th, uh, there's not a whole lot going on, but apparently in Cali, Colombia, Oscar Rivas is fighting Lukasz Rosansky for Rivas' WBC Bridgerweight title. Historic, epic, historic fight. The first defense, or maybe it's the second defense, I don't know, of the WBC Bridger weight title. Awesome stuff. I just had to bring that up. Also on that card, Cecilia Brekus and Hannah Gabriels fighting for uh, women's titles. But, uh, I, you know, I don't see that uh, fight card on box rec, but I've heard that that fight card's happening this uh, Saturday. So it's not being televised or anything that I know of. I just thought I had to mention it because Bridgerweight, come on, that's just hilarious. Anyway, the big event this uh, Saturday, I wouldn't call it big, but the, the card of note, how about that? Top rank, Resorts World Las Vegas on ESPN. It's the return of Tiafimo Lopez, and he will be fighting Pedro Campa. So Lopez is 16-1 with 12 knockouts. Campa is 43-1-1, and, and this will be Campa's first fight outside of Mexico. 10 rounds, 140 pounds. So for Tiafimo, this will be his comeback from that loss to George Cambosos last November and his first fight at 140, junior welterweight. So we're going to get to see him at a new weight. He had complained before about um, cutting weight to make 135, that it was, it was uh, difficult for him to do. So we should see a refreshed Tiafimo Lopez, he should look better than ever, right? Because he won't have to kill himself those extra five pounds. He should look explosive and fresh and juicy and muscular at 140. And Pedro Campa, they're bringing a guy up from Mexico that's going to give him some rounds and lose. That's what this fight is. Also on the undercard, Zander Zayas, undefeated prospect originally out of Puerto Rico, now fights out of Florida, 19 years old. 13-0 with nine knockouts going up against the Mexican fighter Elias Espadas. This is eight rounds, junior middleweights, uh, and several prospects that top rank recently signed from the 2020 American Olympic team are on the undercard, including Duke Reagan and some others. So uh, they're going to keep those Olympians busy. This is the perfect kind of card for that. It's the perfect time of year for that. Get those guys on these cards, man. Get them in there, build them up, get them on TV. Perfect stuff. Um, this is a doldrums of summer type of fight card. And that's what we've had recently. I mean, if you look at everything I've been reviewing the last few shows, so I know it's not a whole lot of exciting stuff to talk about right now, guys, uh, as far as big, big fights recently, 
I appreciate all of you who have uh, been hanging out and watching these uh, these summer shows. There's a lot of podcasts that kind of go dry during the summer. They don't do shows, but we don't do that here, man. Um, a couple of shows that I missed recently is because I was traveling with my wife, trying to get in some last couple little vacations and stuff before we have the kid and we're on lockdown for a while. So um, I appreciate you guys, you know, rocking with me during these slow months, man. But the the heat is coming, right? We're gonna get some some big big matchups uh, coming up soon. All right, um, I'll make sure I got all the super chats. <laughs> Two Matador says Roldan is an 80 year old hack. <laughs> okay. Hey, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. Uh, Santiago says uh, Zayas is the only hope for us Ricans. Yeah, he really is. He really is. There was that one other guy, but he, uh, you know, he murdered somebody, you know. <laughs> uh, one foot out the door says Zayas is must see TV. Yeah, so far. And listen, I know some people complain about his level of opposition, but look, man, the kid's 19. So like, it, this isn't, I'm not going to compare like Zayas's matchmaking to like Tank Davis or to even like Ryan Garcia. Those guys are older and more experienced. This kid's 19, man. Let them, let them have some time to like build himself up, you know? Uh, now at some point they do have to step it up a little bit or this kid will never develop and that will be an issue. But right now, I'm good with this level of opponent. Sam with another super chat. Thank you so much, my brother. He says, Triple G Canelo 2 was December 2018, almost four years. Damn, dude. Damn. See, I was way off. I thought it was 2019 or 2020. That t- Time goes by so damn fast. So there you go, guys. The second fight was, are you serious, dude? Like, I can't believe that. It was 2018. It's been almost four years. Four years. And the build hasn't been spectacular. You know, Canelo kind of went on this B-rate belt collecting tour where he fought a bunch of B-level guys that had belts at 168 and then um, was able to avoid the top challenge in that division, which was Benavidez. That's not Canelo's fault. That's Benavidez and PBC's fault for fucking that up because uh, he got was, he enjoyed the white girl a little too much uh, in between fights. He's cleaned that up now, apparently, though. But, um, you know, that's what Canelo did. And then when he fought, like, an elite-level guy, the the toughest guy he's fought since Golovkin in Dimitri Bevel, he pretty much got dominated pretty handedly. Uh, For for Golovkin, you know, he didn't fight at all last year. And then he just fought a great performance against a good, solid fighter in Murata. Not a great fighter, but a decent, good fighter. And, you know, collected another belt. But that, that fight kind of fell under the radar. And that's what happens when you don't fight for over a year. So the momentum going into this third fight isn't really there. I still think that the the week or two uh, coming into that third fight, the rubber match, people are going to start talking. It will pick up steam. They're going to have, there's going to be some discounted tickets though. And the pay-per-view, I think it'll sell. But it's not going to sell as much as some people think, man. Oh, Gail Falkenthal with a great, great point. She says, Anthony Santiago, you got Amanda Serrano. What's up? Amanda Serrano. She's holding it down for you guys. Absolutely holding down, holding it down. And uh, Nacho says, uh, don't forget about Matias, Supriel Matias. I think he could be legit too. There you go. So you got, you got a couple guys right there, Anthony. Got a couple guys. 
Aunt does say, uh, true, but she's in her 30s already. <laughs> That's true. Gail says, uh, Triple G versus Canelo 2 was September 15th, 2018, Mexican Independence Day weekend. Yeah, I can't believe that. It's been four years. Wow. Chris Bergen asks, uh, did you hear about the Cuban fighter who tried to leave the country to go pro and was stopped and punished? No, I haven't, but that doesn't surprise me. It's Cuba. Yay, communism. There's idiot college kids here cheering for that shit and wanting to end capitalism. Funny, no one I have ever met that comes from that part of the world um, really thinks that system of government is great. My wife's family fled that sort of thing and uh, has strong opinions about it. My uh, my relatives, my grandparents, great-grandparents did, and they have strong opinions about it too. Anyway, we ain't going to get political. Uh, one real boxing fan says, hey, Mike, Triple G versus Canelo is still an intriguing matchup. Yes, it is, of course. And again, it, it will pick up steam. It will pick up steam. Trust me. Trust me. Oh, so Andy uh, BC is telling us in the chat that the fighter's name was Andy Cruz and said um, he was a big-time amateur, multi-gold medalist. Damn. Damn, that's tough, man. Yeah, well, I, you know, look, I, I, I really can't comment on the specifics. I don't know the situation, but I just know that, you know, Cuban government has done some shady things. Do some people overrate what's going on there and make it worse than it really is, make it out to be worse than it really is? Yes, but they have done some shady things, man. Oh, Maestro in the chat. Maestro says, end the blockade. Yes, sir. <clears throat> he says, uh, Andy Cruz is one of the goats of Cuban boxing. Mitch says, uh, communism is the best. They told me to say that. <laughs> is there a gun pointing in your back as you say that, Mitch? Fascism, communism, not too good. My family fled all that stuff and uh, my wife's family too. So like I said, I got some opinions on that. All right, let's jump to the phones real quick, guys. Uh, if you want to get in, uh, hit up the phones right now. We'll take a few calls here and then we'll, um, we'll get out of here and there will be a Friday show. Over on my channel. I think we got Thad here on the line. Dad, what's up, my man? How you doing? Boy, Mike, we missed you. We all thought you went in a witness protection. <laughs> Not yet, man. Not yet. Appreciate it. Well, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, obviously. Uh, but a couple of things I wanted to correct for you. You said about Hooker. <clears throat> now, leading up to this fight, I noticed that he missed weight on previous occasions. I think it was twice previous to this at okay. 140 and at um, now at 147. So he's this is he's been a culprit uh, when it comes to missing weight. Kind of played it in my play on uh, Blair Cobbs. I had him on a lot of parlays and uh, a lot of value there. So uh, one other thing was uh, Ali Demirizin. He was the betting favorite going into the fight against No Kanofsky. shit. And um, he was, okay, I didn't yeah, know he that. He opened up at two to one. Yeah, he opened up at two to one, and then. By fight time, it dropped a little bit. He was maybe uh, minus 150. So you had to put up $150 to win 100. So uh, it wasn't a big favor, but just wanted to make sure you you got that. Because, um, okay. you know, Vegas, is, you know, they're sharp. They're sharp with, with certain boxing events, especially PBC events. I think they, they're kind of like clued in. And that, that played into the Antoine Russell stoppage, where they want to protect that undefeated streak and that knockout streak. If you noticed... You know, the, the the early stoppage against Postol in the 12th round where he was completely fine to go on. <clears throat> and now again with Bartholomew. Hmm. And uh, 
don't think for one second that that wasn't on the table there. Now we've seen that I, uh, before. We to, saw that with Edgar Berlanga. The same thing. Some of those stoppages were kind of dumb because they wanted to keep it to a first round oh, knockout yeah. streak. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's political. And uh, speaking of political, uh, you know, Puerto Rican fight fans, you have Chicker Stevenson. Oh, as a, as a half Puerto Rican. That's true. He is half so, Puerto. Uh, his dad was Puerto Rican. That's right. Absolutely. So you, you know, you can you throw go. that in there, just like uh, you know, Golovkin's like quarter uh, Korean. So yeah, he's one quarter Korean. Like a, yeah. Yeah, mixed bag there. So you can get behind your man. Nothing wrong with that. So uh, I, I wanted to know what your opinion was on. Uh, you, you have to unearth this name from the lore of uh, the Contender series back in the day with Sylvester Stallone. It was uh, Ishay Smith. Yeah. He was the uh, he was on the first season. He was always an odd bird, even since those days. And he made some some really interesting comments on the Jake Paul saga. I don't know where. He, I talked with Ishay about, yeah, yeah. We had a back and forth, Ishay and I. Yes. I saw what, I know what you're talking about. Okay, you get the gist of it. My take on the whole thing is, Ishay Smith, this is nothing different than, you know, in the real world, real business world. Hillary Clinton's daughter, Chelsea, she came right out of school and got a job that was paying her $500,000 a year. Okay. She stepped in front of everybody waiting in line for that, uh, news job that she got it's it's all about who you know how much money's behind you and what you bring to the table you know as far as like politic wise fed the thing with jake paul and like yeah. i tried my best not to talk about jake paul and you just ruined it but uh the thing with jake paul he's got 50 million followers that's what he brings there is no fighter in right. boxing that has 50 million social media exactly. followers there's nothing to do with the guy's he brings his ethnic own. background or any of that crap right. it's in fact that probably works against him most of his haters hate him because of that which he's tapped into is in his very smart right. marketing by him but that's what he brings and that's why steven espinoza and all these guys want a piece and if michael b jordan from the Creed movies, tomorrow announced that he was going pro. The WBC, the WBA, Steven Espinoza would be all over his nuts too. It's it's about as you mentioned, who you know, what you bring to the th- to the table. Yeah, and, and I'd love to see your uh, transcript with with him in that debate because, you know, if you look at the heavyweight, cruiserweight, light heavyweight, super middleweight, middleweight, where don't you see a, a white champion? So this guy's living in like the early 1980s with Jerry Cooney. Okay, there's been a, yeah. a, a well, litany of white champions with they blonde, and blonde, uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. They weren't I guys mean, named on. Jake Paul from, from Middle America. I think that's where he's going. But I, I hear you because <laughs> Ishe, yeah. l- listen, and I don't want to go too far down this road, but the great white hype thing no, be it. hasn't been a thing since the 1970s, early 1980s. If we're being honest, most of the – you know, Anglo-American fans, they're watching MMA. They don't give a shit about boxing, if we're being honest. No, so they th- don't. The whole notion. And, and I am guy. I, I, <laughs> you're one of them. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, I, 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 I had to travel 100 miles to go to a boxing gym, okay? In my neighborhood, there was no such thing. Right. There was tennis courts. There were swimming pools. You know, there was never a boxing gym. It doesn't That's get wider than that. You have to realize. <laughs> yeah. No, white people don't care about the tennis boxing. courts. <laughs> was there a hockey rink and a, everywhere? A lacrosse? What is it? What is the, a lacrosse field? <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah. Golf there you courses go. everywhere. My girlfriend lived on a golf course for God's sake. So listen, that's awesome. It's not in the vernacular anymore. So, you know, this whole argument is completely gone. It's not 1950 anymore. The economy has well surpassed the days of immigrant white immigrants, you know, so Ishay Smith, you know, do a little history research. That's all I got to say about Ishay Smith. Okay. So, uh, that, that rant is over. And now, Two weeks, we got the heavyweight championship of the world, Usyk versus Joshua on the undercard. I think it's, it's great to note that we got a really banger of a heavyweight fight with Big Bang Zhang and uh, Philip Her- Hergovic. Oh, and yeah. That's I a forgot statement about win. that. Statement win for Hergovic. I think he blows him out. I think that uh, Zhang is made a order for him. So we're going to have a new heavyweight contender that people are going to have eyes on. And, uh, yeah, don't sleep on him. And uh, like you were saying with Joe Joyce, I also like Joe Joyce a lot. I, I said earlier on your telecast, maybe a year or two ago, I think he's a young, not a young, but I think he's like a 1991 version of George Foreman, except not with that extreme power and a little faster. But I think they're similar. Mm-hmm. And that style with that telephone jab, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that concrete chin, and, and he's so relaxed in the ring. He could just stalk you and wear you down deliberately. He, He's another guy that's going to be a force to be reckoned with once Usyk retires and Fury and um, AJ. Well, I think AJ is going to be around for the long haul. I think he'll be, you know, somewhat of a, not journeyman, but, you know, he'll be a top guy. It all depends on this rematch. And from here's how I handicap it. AJ is probably going to come out to knock out Usyk. And if he does, it has to be within six rounds. He's not going to be there much longer past six if he blows himself out. Because Usyk, his special skill is wearing guys out that's what he's designed to do so if i'm Usyk, i'm just letting him throw and i'm giving away rounds early going to the body let him gas out and just come on strong late because in that first fight Usyk could have stopped aj his corner told him to put the brakes on we don't need to do that we don't want to take risks you get outbox him he could have stopped aj two or three different occasions in the later rounds especially in the last round aj's corner almost looked like they wanted to throw the towel so my prediction on that fight is either going to see AJ come out and blitz him and get him out of there with like a lucky punch or some other shenanigans or Yusuf's just going to knock him out clean in the seventh, eighth or ninth round. So I don't see this fight going the distance. Absolutely unequivocally. No. And it's, it's a big um, upset that if it doesn't go the distance, I know, uh, you know, you can get even money on the over under, but, for the most part, you'll get plus money if you bet the under in this fight. Hmm. So I don't know if you had anything to add. No, that's an interesting take. So you're going to you're gonna bet the under? I don't know if I'm going to bet the under because the under is going to be about 10 and a half rounds. A lot can happen. That's, that's not a big window. If you're going to bet, you may as well take either for the fight to go 12 or to end early. And if you're going to get complete value, you can get big value on AJ if he stops Usyk within the first six rounds, maybe like yeah. plus 250. That's the best value, right? Stops, Isn't it, it the best value? Right. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's a little bit more. Maybe it's a little bit more. Maybe 250, plus 250. Okay. And if you bet in Usyk, I love Usyk by stoppage from round 7 to 12. And you're getting plus money there. I think he's like plus 180 or 200. So if you put up 100, you'll win. You'll profit 200. So that's the, how I see the fight turning out. And I favor Usyk. I just think... He'll get dropped early. He'll, he'll compose himself, and he'll weather the storm. 
and he's gonna he's gonna be smarter than AJ and break him down. Break his will, take his heart. AJ will be done by the round by round eight, and Usyk's just gonna absolutely tee off on him. Okay. Unless there's some kind of controversy that I don't know about, that's how I see this fight. Because the first yeah. fight, I thought Usyk was gonna outbox him and get ripped off on the decision. We didn't see that. So, in, who who knows what could happen in Ab Ab Dubai or wherever Dubai is that where they are? I think they're in Jeddah. I don't know if. Uh, is it Jeddah, Saudi okay. Arabia? So, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, can't wait. That's two weeks. But this weekend, you know, we, you know, Lopez in a show pay, uh, showcase fight. This guy, I looked, I looked at his uh, record, his opponent. He's just there, you know, for uh, you give him rounds. Like you said, you're spot on there in that assessment. And uh, there really isn't much, much else except I think, is Callum Smith fighting this weekend or next weekend? He's fighting next weekend. Okay, I think that's yes. also on the undercard of Usyk. Hmm. I know he's like a 10, nine to one favorite over someone he's supposed to fight. Let me check. Let me check. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to Callum Smith at light heavyweight. He blew a guy out in like two rounds or one round was last fight. Yeah, he put him out for like <clears throat> five minutes. He's on that undercard. He's fighting um, a guy out of France, Ma- Matthew. Okay. Bolder- Bolderich. Bolderich. <laughs> I can't ah. speak French. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's what <laughs> he's fighting. Guys. Okay. Great. I th- that's a solid undercard. I think that's going to be a great show. And Yusik, he ended up buying the television rights or something like that to show the uh, Ukrainians the fight for free. I guess they could watch it. Yeah, he did. It's just a testament to the type of guy he is. He's just, uh, you know, salt of the earth type of guy. And you just want to put that out there. So Mike, I'll let you go. Look forward to hearing from some of the other calls and, uh, nice to have you back. Thanks a lot, Thad. Have a great day, brother. You too. That's so funny, man. Uh, Thad grew up by a tennis court, a golf course, all that stuff. For the record, I grew up completely opposite where I, where I grew up. I, I to this day, uh, here's some things about me that might surprise a lot of people. I've never played golf, not once. I've never played golf. I've never ice skated. Uh, I've never even roller skated. I've never skied. Um, yeah, I've never played tennis. I don't know shit about tennis. Uh, I don't know anything about lacrosse or water polo or any of that shit. I learned how to swim in the Marines, basically, because they threw us in the pool and forced us how to swim. Um, so that lets you know where I grew up. I grew up in a much, much different neighborhood. <clears throat> Anthony Santiago, another super chat. Thank you, Ant. He said, chat, I highly recommend Prey, the prequel to Predator. Hmm. I've never even heard of this. I got to look this up now. Prey. What? Dude, how come I've never heard of this? All right. What's it on? Is it on Netflix or is it on? Oh, it's, it's on Hulu, huh? I would play the trailer here, but then, you know, my video will get shut down. And I don't want that shit. But um, interesting. Yeah, so I'm looking here uh, from the from the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, an original film, August 5th on Hulu. All right. Might be worth checking out for those of you with a Hulu subscription. Sam in the chat says, you're better off just taking Usyk by KO any round. Interesting. I wonder what the, the odds would be on that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think, look, if Usyk is going to get a stoppage, and I think it's entirely possible, I'm with that. I think it happens later in the fight after he wears Joshua down and, like, survives that early onslaught. Joshua has a legitimate chance 
to stop Usyk early if he catches him kind of cold and a little rusty. He does have a chance. But once Usyk gets in that groove in the middle rounds and stuff, it's going to be real hard to stop him. But people forget, um, I don't know what round it was, but there was a round late in the first fight where Joshua won the round and he did put some leather on Usyk. Forgive me, I can't remember if it was the eighth round, ninth round, whatever it was. And in fact, I saw Usyk kind of go to his corner and take like a big, deep breath. He did a sign of the cross. He's a very, you know, devoutly religious guy and like collect himself. And you could just see he kind of told himself, okay, dude, time to find another level because Joshua just had a really good round. So, you know, people act like that was a complete domination by Usyk. And look, he clearly won. I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. And he almost stopped Joshua early. And that last round did stop a few seconds early, which was weird. All that being said, Joshua had moments, I'm just saying, and with everything coming into this rematch, Joshua has a chance. And if he's going to get a stoppage, though, I think it's going to be early. Gail says, uh, golf is a huge effing waste of time. <laughs> uh, Ant is asking, did I ever play ping pong? I mean, I've played it like in a in a bar or some shit, like, like, but like, like Forrest Gump, like I like to play ping pong to the Jedi where he's got like two ping pong. No, I don't know anything about that shit. Uh, Toreen says, I hate the narrative too about AJ, but the dude doesn't do anything to discourage that notion. That's a great point, man. That's a great point. Yeah. And Chris, Chris seconds that he says, I hate the narrative that AJ is finished. If he loses, Usyk is a future hall of famer, loads of big fights for AJ. If he loses, I completely agree with that, guys. Um, it, it's it's kind of weird the flack that AJ gets here in America. I, I yes, he's lost a couple fights, but you know, like the same dudes here that love Deontay Wilder, dude's been dropped like four or five times and like brutally stopped. He's been hurt by B and even C level fighters. Um you know, AJ has lost some fights. He's been buzzed. He's looked tentative, but like, has it been any worse than what, uh, than what Wilder went through? I, I, I don't know. I, I just, it's, it's odd to me. Anyway, I'd love to see those two fight. If, if Joshua loses, I still want to see a Wilder and Joshua fight. That'd be great. And if Wilder traveled over to London, number one, that does a huge crowd over there at Wembley and Wilder on the road taking his kind of act as WWE kind of act on the road to London. The fans would eat that shit up. The promotion would be great. I'd love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. Let's see. Gail says, uh, I bet Montero is a pickleball champion in the making. I don't even know what the hell that is. Gail. <laughs> you have to explain to me what the hell that is. I don't know what pickleball is. Oh, we got some spam in the chat. Hey, guys, love chat XYZ. Best adult dating site. <laughs> Block user. Boom. How do these motherfuckers get here? I don't, even, I don't know where they come from. Okay, uh, let's take another call. Let's take a call from Tony in LA. What's up, Tony? How you doing, man? How's it going, Mike? Uh, I'd like to thank the ring for reminding me that George Dixon. Nickname is Little Chocolate, but I don't understand this nonsense about the original eight division. There should be six. What are the six? Because it was originally, I mean, you're uh, going way back. Well, no, okay. There was a, 
Tommy Ryan, Felt Hostage, Light Division, Wedge Division gets made for Jack Root because he can never get it. Yeah. You know, and then Flyweight gets made. So the original six is without Light Heavyweight and Flyweight. Well, okay. I'm going to see original eight divisions. I'm trying to figure out what year, what exact year where we got eight. Cause you got to think dude, boxing was a fringe thing Go in back. the 18th century, 19th century. But at the time boxing really exploded in the United States, you're talking 1920s, 1930s. You had the solid eight divisions by then, you know? And so like, I look yeah. at it as the great eight. Like that's how I, okay. yeah, I don't go back before that. You know, I mean, might as well go to, you know, where they had hundred round fights and if neither man got knocked <laughs> out, the crowd got their nickel back, you know what I'm saying? Like hey, how far hey, back hey, you hey, want to take it, man? If they can, if they can uh, hold for that long, it can go around. <laughs> if neither man died, the crowd uh, got their dime back. So yeah, that's how it used to be back in the day. <clears throat> uh, is this the first time that LRB threatened to buy the ring from you? I saw some thing that there was a print argument. Yes. Yeah, so wow. Could you imagine if that happened? The staff would change very quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of us would be oh, out of the job. Is that the first time or has he done that before? I don't know. It's the first time I know of. It's the first time I know of. But um, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. to, to my knowledge, no offers have been extended. So I, I think we're good. <clears throat> okay. Uh, did you hear Keith Thurman talking smack about Tommy for avoiding Jake Paul? Even though he doesn't mention Spence, he swerved from Undisputed at Carlo, and he's calling out Laura and co in competition with Garcia. And he's calling out Jake Paul. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the, the Jake Paul thing, man, Jake Paul has succeeded in getting under everybody's skin. He has found a way to get into just, just piss everybody off. And every single time <laughs> somebody talks about him, they're giving him free promotion. That's what these boxers don't get. They're playing right into dude's game. They're promoting the shit out of him. They're promoting Jake Paul more than they promote their own fucking fights. Sad but true. True. I I just I just find it funny that everyone's saying that he's running from Ennis and he's calling Fury out for running from Paul. So <laughs> it's hilarious. Hilarious. So the one thing that I want to talk to you about is how Hearn has screwed up this AJ Ustip. Um, promotion like he he gets into a lawsuit with Sky and talks smack with the zone while despite trying to get uh, being promoted and pushed at the same time how credible is Coppinger saying that ESPN lost the bid for yeah, the I've, U.S. broadcast right I've seen that the top rank made an offer top rank and ESPN made an offer I'm with you that they have screwed up the um, the the American side of this promotion because okay. it's not even like solidified and guaranteed and officially official that it's on regular DAZN. I've I was told a while ago it would go to DAZN, 
And it's not even being <laughs> promoted and marketed that way, uh, where it's for sure, like, do we know if it's a pay-per-view? Is it regular to zone? Like, we still kind of don't know. And we're a week and a half away from the damn fight. So um, that's kind of, that's bad. Yeah, I mean, they really have kind of screwed this up. And honestly, the Canelo Triple G3 promotion hasn't been spectacular either. It really hasn't. Uh, do you think that it's because the next fight that the Saudis really want in Saudi Arabia is the Bivol Bitter B of unification? I think it's because the Saudis put up so much money for a site fee. Eddie and everybody's already got their money. So why go the extra mile promoting the shit out of it when you've already got your money? Well, I I don't know what Eddie's thinking. He's talking trash about how the zone lost the rights to the broadcast in the UK and making fun of them. I mean, I thought they were working together, but you know, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah. That whole thing for the zone to announce this massive deal with Joshua, and then they're not even going to broadcast the fight. It's extremely bizarre. And like, I don't know who's, who's paying, who's paying Joshua for this fight because it's not on the zone. So does it, you know, like what's going on with it's, it's just very bizarre. It's very weird, but um, you know, Hey man, it's boxing. What do you expect? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about the, his own boxing show guys and they had the sanctioning body presidents on and I don't mind them helping trying to make the image of the sanctioning bodies look better but in exchange for that they were able to make the progress fight with the PETA yeah. and it, that's really more like pay to play you know what I mean because I don't like rewarding. I mean, I want to see the fight, but I don't like rewarding fighters who do misleading statements to the press. And then, you know, when they find out and they don't protect their own fighters, like Ortiz getting jumped over, number one, or Giasabu would have loved to be in a title eliminator. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly don't know what to say. If it's involving the sanctioning organizations, it is a pay to play kind of a thing most of the time. And you know, which groups do business with which promoters, you know, for the record, I like the recent mandates they've made the, the, the progress of pay to fight. I like it. So however we got there as ugly as it is, the sausage being made is really ugly, but the sausage is going to be delicious. <laughs> that won't make it to Twitter, <laughs> but that, that's, uh, that's going to burn me on Twitter, man. Someone's going to take that, fucking post it. but I'm serious. You know, like I, that's okay. a good fight, man. So it is pay to play. It is political, but when they get it right, they get it right. So. Uh, I also want to, I don't mind them helping out a ref getting heat for their um, stoppage controversy but they didn't defend Russell, and that's the guy who's getting screwed the most by T.O. females. All four sanctioning bodies want T.O. in the top 10, and Gary Russell right now is like the guy who's taking most of the damage from it because he gets pushed out in spot in the WBC, gets pushed out of the top 10 in the IBF, and gets dropped as number 10 in the WBA, but 
to add insult to injury, Lewis Ripson, who hasn't fought this year, gets placed in number 10, so it pushes him out of the top 10. So, what does he have to do? Go crying to the zone guys to, like, get some satisfaction? Maybe. Maybe the squeaky wheel gets the grease <laughs> and he has to start bitching on social media or something. I, I don't know. It works for some of these guys. Uh, all of this is annoying at 140. <laughs> um, and Pio hasn't fought in this division and he lost his last fight, correct? Yes. He, and okay. he hasn't fought. That was, what, November? So he hasn't fought in, I don't know, nine months, ten going on ten months. So, yeah, yeah. I mean – Look, I would expect Tiafima Lopez to move up in the WBO rapidly because of his association with top rank. The WBO is where Bob's organization, oh, yeah. right? But in all of them, it yeah. is a little interesting. Um, but <laughs> it's not surprising. Yeah. I know. Uh, for Spence, the picture it looks like is Sterling and Danny Garcia going for a Reggie belt because Charlo just got made super champion and they might be chasing Laura for the middleweight ranking belt. So that entire thing is a complete TBC thing. I don't even want to deal with that. But for Crawford, you talked about Ortiz. What do you think about Ortiz then as a two fight deal with an option for a third? Or the rumor that I've heard about, which is uh Zhu, Charlo, and if Charlo doesn't take the fight, maybe Ennis? That would surprise me a lot to see Ennis in the mix. Um, I think he's going to be avoided. Um, Well, if if Charlo doesn't accept the fight with, uh, because if he sends the WBO jumping up to the next division and be the mandatory, he could get a fight with Zoo to challenge him for that fight coming up in January. I mean, Zoo wants to fight before this. You know what I mean? I think that fight's going to happen. I mean, it's based, it's it's already signed. Char- Charlo and Zoo will fight. As far as Garcia, I agree with you. He's going to go for a Reggie belt. Um, Ortiz, sadly, he may end up fighting like Blair Cobbs next because I just both Ortiz and uh, and Ennis. There's just not going to be a lot of guys that um, are going to want to fight them. They're not the top guys. But Tony, we've been going for eleven well, minutes, bro. Covered. We gotta, I gotta bounce to the next call, man. We've been going for eleven minutes. I know. Yeah, all good. Thanks for the call, anyways. Thanks a lot, man. All right, late. There he goes. Okay. Um, let me see. I got one more call here. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything in the chat. <clears throat> Yeah, Tony is our sanctioning body news guy. He loves talking about the sanctioning body stuff. Uh, we got a few people in the chat that say they they don't want the sanctioning body talk. Okay, well, you know, sometimes you got to keep up with that stuff, guys. You got to keep up with it, but uh, we'll speed it up next time, all right? We'll speed it up next time. All right, let's jump to uh, one more call. We're going to take one more call from Nacho, then we're out. We're going to close it out with Nacho because he always brings the heat, rapid-fire combinations. Let's go to him. Nasho, what's up, my brother? How you doing, man? All right, Mike. How are you? Good, 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 good. Um, yeah. So I just kind of wanted to bring up a a few different uh, fights that I saw. Uh, the first one was that horrible robbery of uh, Barthelemy against uh, Gary Gary Antoine Russell. That was despicable. 
how they did uh, Bartholomew. Uh, not that I'm a Bartholomew fan, but man, talk about screwing a guy out of an opportunity to legitimately uh, get back in the mix um, in that division and probably make a few more paydays. They literally robbed him of that opportunity by giving Russell that that horrible stoppage. Mm. Um, I don't understand why, you know, the guy gets up, the guy is alert, he knows what's going on, right. and he's standing right in front of you, and you still decide to stop the fight? Like, that just makes absolutely no sense. Like, it's not like he was out on his feet. It's not like he didn't know where he was at, like, that, that that was just awful. I I hope that you know uh, they, they they're not going to give him a rematch. But man, if if the PBC legitimately uh, cared about Bartholomew, they'd give him at least a big fight to make up for that that horrible robbery. I think they and will. After seeing him, yeah, and then after seeing him uh, get hurt against Bartholomew, and then kind of get buzzed a little bit against Postal. Uh, I don't know, Mike. Does it seem like this Russell doesn't really have much of a chin to you? Uh, what Gary Antoine Russell? I don't know. I mean, we haven't yeah. seen him dropped. We haven't seen him knocked out. Um, you know, he's I guess been clipped a couple times. But are you saying what? Because yeah. his his management's not putting them in there with punchers. They're protecting them. Yeah, to a certain extent, because he got clipped by two guys who aren't really known as punchers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, look, that could just be growing pains as a young guy. It could be, um, cutting weight and not having the stamina. Um, or yeah, he could be a little, little chinny, a little sensitive. We, we won't know till we know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, uh, the other, um, I kind of wanted to bring it up because nobody's brought it up from this past Saturday was, uh, Michael Conlon looked good in that fight against uh, Mariaga. I thought he was going to give uh, Conlon a little bit better of a test, to be honest. So I was kind of surprised that he really didn't give him as much of a test. It was a pretty one-sided fight. So for him to have uh, beaten him that soundly, it was interesting. So so I was I was kind of surprised by that. Um, who could you see Conlon being matched up with next Mike because I can't really think of another guy right now yeah. that is available that would be a legit guy for him to take on well what about the rematch with Wood yeah but uh Wood is uh talking to from what I've read they're they're talking to Santa Cruz and the PBC oh yeah making that fight so yeah that's sounds, right I, it I, sounds like that fight's gonna happen because the WBA, yeah, because I think it was, yeah. he's, but said, or, um, yeah, Santa Cruz will have to go over to the UK, right? As I understand it. I haven't seen anything saying that he's being told to go to the UK, Mike, but I mean, who knows? I, I mean, I, I still haven't heard all the details regarding that yet. I mean, as it is, Santa Cruz is going to get the bigger amount of money from that yeah from that fight from what i've read so yeah so i mean who knows what, I what about we'll, robisi ramirez we'll i think conlon loses to ramirez mike i think i think ramirez is a little too good i think he probably ends up i think he could beat conlon pretty pretty easily you think he'd dominate 
I mean, he's yeah. I think it would be a a somewhat competitive but lopsided win for for Ramirez. I think the way he's looked lately, the way he waxed Nova, who is a bigger guy than him. Yeah. I mean, if he waxed Nova, I'm not sure that Conlon's that much better. You know. So, That's a good point. I mean, it could be. I a just know politically, fight, but I would, with top rank and everything, it's easy to make. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I, I think that'd be. Yeah, it's gonna be tough to see what they come up with next for him. Um, also, too, I just kind of wanted to bring up right now since we're in that division, Mike. Um, I did see that the IBF is making Josh Warrington have to defend against his mandatory next, and his mandatory is um, uh, El Venado Lopez, who I think is gonna wreck Warrington if that fight is made because. After seeing him get beat down by Kiko Martinez, yeah. Lopez is a lot younger and a lot better. <laughs> I, a lot fresher, a lot more explosive. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I think I think he's in trouble if that fight ends up having to be, you know, uh, made. Uh, I don't see him uh, holding on to that belt. I think Lopez should beat him. Um, and then uh, with Virgil, Mike, it's kind of funny. Sometimes these fans kill me because when guys, when guys, um, you know, are are beating their opponents really easily, they're quick to to say like they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But then when a guy like Ortiz, who takes a whole year off, um, had issues uh, regarding making weight, and then eventually comes back and kind of takes this fight to uh, knock the rust off and just kind of get himself back out there. They're quick to just kind of criticize every every aspect of him uh, in the fight. I mean, yeah, the, the guy was rusty. He hadn't fought. And he still went out there and he still put on a pretty dominating performance overall. Of course, he had, you know, issues with McKinson as far as his movement and, um, you know, the, uh, the, the style that McKinson was bringing. But I thought overall he looked good for the most part. I mean, he was able to take apart a guy that most fighters, I think, would have struggled with if they had to face him. So I think people just kind of need to be a little more, uh, you know, they need to temper their criticism when it comes to, you know, the the circumstances that guys are in as far as, like, have they been active, have they not been active, and, you know, just kind of take that into account. I think guys are just too quick to judge fighters based off one performance uh, a lot of times and and i think that's that that's crazy Um, and then just the last thing mike um was uh the blair cobbs hooker like you said i I didn't know all that stuff that was going on with hooker if that was the case then you can kind of give him a pass for that whole situation going into the fight i mean cobbs look good so you know you got to give him credit as well um but i brought it up on twitter and, and you and a few other people responded Having seen him uh, out here uh, in the 805 uh, years and years ago and having known that he had the reputation that he did, especially being uh, Fernando Vargas' uh, half-brother, never in wildest dreams would I have ever thought Roger Romo would have ever become a legitimate trainer. And seeing him the other night being uh, Blair Cobb's trainer, I was like, wow, talk about some 
something that you never thought you'd ever see in your lifetime. I mean, <laughs> right? it was pretty interesting to see that guy cornering someone and actually leading them to a victory. I never predicted that ever happening, Mike. Um, I'll be curious to see how that pairing moves forward uh, as far as it like... It looked good so far. You know, cop yeah, I mean, it looked good so far, but I'll be curious to see what it looks like moving forward. I mean, if he ends up, if Cobbs ends up being Virgil's next opponent, whew, they got yeah. their work cut out for them. That's, That's going to be sure. a tough night at the so, office. Yeah. So, all right, Mike. Um, you know, that's all I got. Um, I'll be uh, calling in on Friday for sure. All right, cool. Thanks a lot, Nacho. All right, man. All right, peace. All right, guys. Um, we got another super chat. Let me get to this. Uh, Sam, thank you so much once again. He said, a top rank must be must pay Mariaga not to throw punches against Oscar. He was a beast. Now he doesn't throw at all. Should never be in another main event. Yeah, I mean, look, top rank put Conlon in there against a guy that is a little long in the tooth and can't pull the trigger like he once did. And um, strong puncher, though. If Mariaga would have connected with a really hard punch, he could have changed that fight. But I saw the same thing, man. He didn't throw as much. And let's give a little credit to Conlon. I thought he fought well. And again, he's coming back off a knockout knockout loss. So he deserves some credit. But Mariaga is a guy, especially at this stage of his career, that you rebound from a loss against or you develop a prospect with. I mean, he's that guy. I'm with you. Uh, he should never be in a main event. This was over in Conlon's you know, corner of the world. So I think it was okay. But here in America or something, yeah, I don't want to see Mariaga in another main event. He's just, he's past that. You know, he's definitely on the way out. Uh, Mindiola, Michael Mindiola was um, in the chat saying that uh, Venado Lopez is sparring right there in their gym right now. Um, so, yeah, if he's going up against Warrington, that's going to be tough because uh, he could do pretty much what Mauricio Lara can do. And we saw what Lara did with Warrington. So, and I think that's who Nacho meant to talk about uh, on this call. I think he said Kiko Martinez, but I think that's what he meant was Mauricio Lara. Anyway, um, yeah, Mendiola says uh, Mariaga was trying to was trying in the last few rounds. Conlon is hard to hit clean. Yeah, and TJ says Conlon got great footwork and upper body movement, hard to pin down. There, there you go. Um, and then TJ adds, you know, it was good matchmaking. Was never high on Mariaga. So, yeah, it is matchmaking, but let's give Conlon a little bit of credit at the same time. He does deserve that. Just like we got to give Cobbs credit for his win against Maurice Hooker. All right, guys. <clears throat> Great episode, man. And uh, we'll do the Friday show over on my channel. Until then, have a wonderful week. I'll see you guys at the fights. Peace. <laughs>